Welcome to Your Active's Agri-Food Podcast. I'm Natasha Foote. And I'm Gerardo Fortuna. And here's your weekly update on all things agriculture and food in the EU from Your Active's Agri-Food News Team. So there was the European Parliament plenary this week and agriculture was more mentioned than expected. Uh, we saw from the schedule that there was two interesting votes on, on uh, one on the Parliament's position on the climate law and another one uh, on the EU forest strategy. Uh, particularly on clim- climate law, this is a new piece of legislation, uh, which is also a core element of the Commission's um, Green Deal, European Green Deal. And it aims at scaling up the EU's ambition for uh, reaching the climate neutrality by 2050 by proposing an increase in the 230 target for emission reduction from the original 40% to 55%. So Parliament needed to adopt their position, uh, the position that they're going to they're gonna negotiate during the um, trilogue, which are basically the uh, interinstitutional negotiations with the EU ministers in the uh, EU, uh, EU Council, and they voted uh, to go for a 60% target. Uh, the European Parliament will back this position. You may wonder, where is agriculture in that? Uh, well, uh, the climate strategy seeks to uh, store more carbon on European farmlands and forests through a robust uh, carbon removal certification scheme. Uh, so the idea is to directly incentivize farmers and foresters uh, to put in practice this carbon capture crops so uh, or, or carbon sinks. And um, the liberal lawmaker, um, the Danish lawmaker, uh, Asger Christensen, uh, presented an amendment that in the end went through, actually, and um, he was advocating for a soil carbon sequestration scheme supported by establishing a separate trading scheme for negative emissions. At the moment, we don't have such a, such a thing because removals and emission reductions are treated equally in carbon markets. Uh, however, according to Christensen, a ton of carbon removed from the atmosphere ought to be priced uh, differently from a ton of carbon that is not emitted into the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Did you get it? I think I'm almost there, yeah. Yeah, th- th- there's this tiny little difference. This distinction. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, mm. I, but I think that the most interesting aspect was touched uh, by Commissioner's Executive Vice President Franz Timmermans, uh, his uh, von der Leyen's uh, right-hand man, no? And he's in charge of the Green Deal too, so whatever he says, it counts. Mm-hmm. And, and let's see what he said about agriculture. If we continue like this, there will be no pollinators anymore. How are you going to explain that to farmers when they say, let's keep the present agricultural policy? There will be no agriculture if there are no pollinators. There will be no agriculture if there's no water for the land. There will be no agriculture if, if the storm uh, sw- sweeps away the topsoil every time. So basically, the Dutch commissioner cautioned uh, farmers about the need to change tack on the European agricultural policy. He said, how are you going to explain that to farmers, so the loss of, uh, of uh, uh, pollinators, when they say, let's keep the present agricultural policy, which, and that's 
implicit. I mean, it's arming biodiversity. Mm, it's quite strong. Yeah, quite strong, because it was criticizing the, the persistent opposition by some MEPs and also by some stakeholders in embracing the new green elements uh, due to be implementing the use common agricultural policy through the uh, new food strategy, the farm to fork strategy, mm. and the biodiversity strategy too. And it was responding in particular to the Polish lawmaker Anna Zalewska uh, from the European Conservatives group, who suggested he should go back to farmers and talk to them before taking any decision on the EU budget that might affect uh, farmers. She, she said that we are all responsible for biodiversity and now farmers are not only responsible for our food, but uh, Europe is going to make them responsible for our, for our climate too. But Timmermans said that, um, basically reply uh, to her. And, she, and he also said that Europe needs to look after its forests, uh, grasslands and peatlands. But MEPs did something about this this week too, right Taj? Yep, there was also the adoption of the forest strategy this week. The forest strategy is due uh, out in the beginning of 2021. An MEP said that it should be uh, independent and self-standing, properly aligned to the European Green Deal, ensuring that forests can continue to play a multifunctional role. So MEPs uh, stressed that sustainable forest management should make forests more adaptable to changing climate conditions and promote their environmental, but also societal and economic sustainability. And this new strategy should also help to bolster European disaster resilience and early warning tools to increase prevention and preparedness for things like fires, floods or pests. Uh, which we're increasingly seeing across the EU. Uh, and so it's got a suggestion that forest owners should receive more support for applying preventative measures, dealing with crises before uh, before they become a problem and restoring affected forest areas. Speaking during the parliamentary plenary session this week, EU Agricultural Commissioner Janusz Wojciechowski also highlighted the importance of agroforestry, saying that it is a potential eco-scheme which the Commission will encourage member states to use. And here's what he said about that. There is strong link with, uh, to the, between the forestry and agriculture uh, and the farm to fork strategy. Agroforestry was listed as the one, as a, as the, uh, one from the potential eco-schemes, very important part of the first pillar, common agriculture policy. And the uh, Commission uh, uh, will propose the agroforestry as a, one of the potential eco-schemes in the recommendation uh, dedicated uh, to, the, to the Member States for, for their national strategic plans. We recently talked about agroforestry in one of articles that we published. Mm -hmm. And it was also on our podcast last week, so if you'd rather listen to it, you should check that out. And in other news uh, from the EU, uh, there was an interesting ruling for, uh, from the European Court of Justice, uh, which stated that the EU harmonized framework for food labeling does not preclude member states from adopting measures providing for additional mandatory particulars regarding the origin of provenance. So it's basically about the um, origin of food uh, labeling. Uh, in particular, the, the, the court added that, however, those national measures need to be justified on one or several grounds, including the protection of public health and prevention of food fraud. 
Um, so the adoption of mandatory origin labeling is possible only if there is a proven link between certain qualities of the food concerned and their origin of provenance. That's interesting, well, basically because the Commission will launch an inception impact assessment this autumn to assess the potential impact of an extension of this uh, mandatory origin labeling and, and the impact it could have on food business operators such as farmers and consumers. And this is also interesting because several EU countries are, have recently introduced national me measures to specify the origin of certain categories of food, such as milk, or for instance in Italy there's the origin of uh, tomatoes in the tomato sauce. However, the European Commission has, has uh, opposed this national attempts to regulate on the matter because it could fragment the single market. Okay. Give me some more, Tash. Give me some more. <laughs> you want some more? Some more agri-news? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, French lawmakers also uh, approved a draft bill this week, which has been pretty controversial, um, which would allow sugar beet growers to use neonicotinoid pesticides. And this is something that's been welcomed by farmers, but condemned by green groups as more backsliding by the government. So neonicotinoids are a controversial type of pesticides that have been banned since 2018. Uh, and this is to protect honeybees as they're actually thought to contribute to the decline of bees by disrupting their sense of orientation and their mode of reproduction. And so the French president, Emmanuel Macron, has previously promised not to modify the ban on these pesticides during his presidential campaign. But with this bill, farmers would be allowed to use neonicotinoid pesticides on sugar beet seeds until July of 2023. France is actually the European Union's largest sugar producer with 420,000 hectares planted with sugar beet each year. But farmers say that yields have fallen this year between 30 and 50% due to pests, which is pretty considerable. Uh, so the French agricultural minister Julien de Normandie was quick to tell the National Assembly during heated debates that the derogation was designed to protect France's self-sufficiency in sugar rather than being something that's anti-environmental. But environmental groups were not buzzing about the decision. You see what I did there? Yeah, yeah. You appreciate that? Mm. Uh, so they branded it a U-turn uh, that threatens the ecosystem and public health. And they highlighted that residues of the chemicals are believed to remain in the soil and also in the water. And what was the reaction of the European institution in that? Well, actually, uh, last week, so before this uh, this was voted through, um, the European Commission did jump in on the debate. And they hinted that the EU executive may not grant the French uh, derogations on the use of the controversial class of pesticides. So speaking before MEPs in the European Parliament's Environmental Committee, Klaus Berend, who is the head of unit for pesticides and biocides in the Commission's DG Sante, warned that if EFSA, so that's the European Food Safety Agency, finds that these emergency authorizations were not justified, he said that the European Commission will take the same steps as it did for Lithuania and Romania last year and adopt a commission decision prohibiting the repetition of these emergency authorizations. So it will be interesting to see how the situation develops and how they will react to the news. Also because it sounds like a threat. It does sound like a kind of <laughs> veiled, <laughs> veiled threat. Yeah. We'll, see, we'll see how the news is taken in the commission this week. And what else happened this week in Brussels? Well, 
there's been another kind of war waged. Oh no, an- another war. Another war, yeah, I know. <laughs> Never ending. With uh, the debate over the naming of meat-like products uh, heated up this week with some stakeholders. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I know, I'm already on fire. Uh, they had serious beef with this proposal, uh, which basically would effectively ban plant-based products from using words like burger and sausage. Um, but also it's not just alternative meat products, but it's also, uh, it would potentially restrict the naming of plant-based dairy alternatives by banning terms such as, you know, yogurt or be more like yogurt style or alternative to cheese, yeah. butter substitutes, things like that. So this week, a coalition of 13 international environmental, animal welfare and food safety groups sent a joint letter to MEPs urging them to reject the proposed ban. And so their argument is that it would undermine sustainability plans and directly contradict the EU's Green Deal and also its farm to fork strategy. And they also warned that the superfluous and disproportionate restrictions risk exposing the EU to ridicule, which is pretty strong. But on the other side of the coin, we had... Of course, like livestock farmers and real meat producers, uh, which reply with another campaign, taking a cue from uh, Belgian surrealism, actually. And the famous painting by René Magritte, C'est n'est pas une pipe, this is not a pipe. And they put a burger on it, on, on, on the AD, and they wrote down C'est n'est pas un steak. So uh, this is not a steak. And, uh, I appreciate this. I, <laughs> it's a funny yeah, campaign. <laughs> if you started like that, of course, you, you're going to appreciate this one. <laughs> and um, yeah, meat associations are asking the lawmakers to, because there was originally an amendment in the European Parliament uh, by the rapporteur on the CMO, Common Market Organization, uh, and Eric Andrieu, uh, which was basically, again, as you, as you said before, uh, banned uh, this um, meat denomination. Uh, and, uh, and then there was a backpedaling from him. So they're asking the lawmakers to defend the original amendment uh, as adopted in uh, April 2019 and not to accept any compromise on this. So uh, in order to preserve um, traditional meat denomination, which according to them are deeply rooted in the European cultural heritage. And they say that with the boom in the marketing of similar plant-based products, uh, this common heritage is at stake. So they, they raise the bar saying that it's basically about uh, European heritage, the European way of life, would say some, someone in the commission. And, um, and also they're comparing the plant-based meat producer to the counterfeit industry. So um, basically they, they advocate that uh, marketing agencies deliberately use the powerful concept of substitution to keep the feeling that replacing a product by another is a nutritional neutral act. And of course, they don't agree with this. So it's an increasingly interesting debate that we've been following for a while, and it's kind of due to come to a head in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, and actually, your active have an event on exactly this topic uh, next week on the 15th. So if you're interested, be sure to register. There'll be more details about that in our newsletter, and you can check out your active events online. Uh, so something else that happened this week is that there was a review by the European Court of Auditors uh, on plastic. And so they found that there is a significant risk that the EU will not meet its plastic packaging recycling targets for 2025 and 2030. 
Um, and there was also the third edition of the short-term outlook, which was published this week, um, and also incorporated the effects of COVID-19 on the agri-food sector. So it found in general that the sector had been relatively spared so far compared to other harder-hit sectors of the EU economy. Um, but it did warn that the agri-food sector has not been immune to the impacts of the crisis. Uh, and so it, it highlighted there's been a reduced demand in food service and a lower consumption of some food products, uh, saying that there's also been changes in consumption channels, which has affected the marketing of products uh, less likely to be sold in retail. But interestingly, one thing it did find uh, was that the projections of exports of meat, which were up by more than 15% in the first half of the year, have been revised downwards uh, due to cases of the African swine fever in wild boars in Germany, which resulted in an immediate trade restriction of exports from Germany to key partners such as China, South Korea and Japan. So export growth is now 10% lower for 2021, although the report did conclude that this may have continued uh, in this kind of trend, even without the outbreak of African swine fever. And now for the agri-food news from the capitals this week, starting with Germany, where social democrats want changes to the Mercosur deal to add social and environmental standards, the parliamentary group's uh, vice-chairs Sören Bartol and Matthias Mirsch uh, told the German press agency uh, DPA that a year ago the world looked spellbound at the burning Amazon. This year the situation is again dramatic. Uh, current satellite images show more than 32,000 sources of fire in the rainforest area. And this is an increase of 61% compared to September 2019. And Brazilian President Jair Bolsonaro is doing nothing to contain or prevent the devastating forest fires. In Austria, the Agriculture Minister Elisabeth Köstinger announced that the country will be extending its hardship funds for agriculture. She said that so far, almost 5,000 applications have been received from the agricultural sector Around 6.5 million euro have thus been received by farmers. Since the hardship fund is still needed, we are doubling the term to 12 months, she said. And we move to Poland, where a new government was formed and Gregor Puda was appointed Minister of Agriculture. Uh, he was trained in the field of animal husbandry and he's in favor of banning the breeding of animals for fur and backs a recent law designed to protect animals. However, his appointment was followed by protests all over the country as agricultural organization in Poland opposed the new law. And in the UK, the National Farmers Union has urged the government to abandon its proposed tariff-free quota for raw cane sugar imports because of its potential to undercut British growers with sugar grown in ways that could be illegal in the UK. And they say this could threaten the viability of uh, the British farmers and undermine the government's commitment to developing countries. The UK government has proposed a 260,000 tonne tariff-free quota and this is something that the National Farmers Union Sugar Board Chairman, uh, Michael Sly, said could lead to growers choosing not to grow the crop any longer, and this would threaten the future of the sector. Lastly, in Romania, Romania's corn and sunflower crops have been seriously affected by drought, according to Agricultural Minister Adrian Oros. 
The minister said that although the final data is not yet available, according to estimations, the affected area is around 1 million hectares. Uh, so Aura said that the government will try to compensate farmers for the drought-induced losses. Earlier this year, the government also launched a scheme to aid farmers whose harvests were harmed by, uh, by drought. And the aid was targeted to farmers that lost part of the autumn-sown crops. An hour later, next week, there's uh, a meeting of the European Parliament's Agriculture and Rural Development Committee. Um, the European lawmakers are going to discuss about the Common Agriculture Policy uh, proposal, uh, which is basically the EU main uh, farming subsidies, subsidies program, and um, and they they're gonna discuss just ahead of the final vote in the plenary that will happen uh, in the plenary that will go from nineteenth uh, to twenty three of uh, um, October. Uh, next week, there's also a Euractiv virtual conference discussing the role of poultry in the future farm-to-fork strategy and also the sustainability of the poultry sector in general, um, which will be moderated by yours truly. So be sure to be there. But if you want to listen to my voice instead... Uh, who wouldn't? Of course. Uh, I'm going to moderate two events on Wednesday, uh, one organised by the European Food Forum on Food Reformulation and Marketing for Kids, and another one organized by the primary food processors on the very same day uh, where uh, we're going to discuss uh, the impacts of climate change on primary food sectors and ways towards carbon neutrality. And we already mentioned it briefly in the podcast, but um, on the 15th next week, uh, so that's the Thursday next week, there is a year active event on the plant-based naming and labelling, so the debate that we mentioned earlier. I'm sure it's going to shape up to be a very lively debate. This week, the AgriFood podcast is produced, as always, by Euractiv's AgriFood team, Gerardo Fortuna and Natasha Food, with the technical support of Evi Chiorri. Be sure to subscribe to our newsletter so you don't miss the latest agricultural news from the EU. And this podcast is also available on all your favourite listening platforms, so Apple, Amazon, Spotify and Stitcher. I'm Natasha Foote. Thanks for listening and see you next week. This podcast is part of Euractiv's project Beyond Agriculture, funded by the INCAP program of the European Union. The content of this podcast represents the views of the author only and is his, her, sole responsibility. The European Commission does not accept any responsibility for use that may be made of the information it contains.